Well, I hope you didn't think you were coming to a sleepy, laid-back affair. Uh, your blood must be pumping by now. We'll let you work off that heavy lunch that you ate. Uh, just a few weeks ago, Susan and I were, were we took a few days and we were we were traveling in another city, and uh, you know, we're so in love and romantic, hand in hand, walking through the streets on on a date night. And uh, as we were walking through the streets of this uh, particular city. Uh, we, we came across a nativity scene. I want to put a picture of it because I later went back and took a picture of this. You guys have a picture of that nativity scene? Uh, and here it is. And it's a little tough to see from my camera, but obviously it's at night. The, the nativity scene is, you know, it's not like this. It's like this. It's humongous. It's a big thing. And so as we're, we're walking through this downtown area, man, I just, I, I, I turned to Susan. And I said, oh, look at this. Let's, let's look at this. It's so beautiful. And look, these people are celebrating, you know, the real meaning of what Christmas is all about because it was a real commercial area and a lot of shops and a lot of, you know, buying and selling was going on. And here was this one little peaceful moment in the middle of all of this busyness where truly the meaning of Christmas was being defined right in the city square, right in the middle of all of, of the busyness. And so we looked for a minute and then we, you know, turned and, and we went by and, and I stopped. And I said, Susan, turn around. We got to go back and look at this again. Because something's not right. And we turned around and we went back again and we looked one more time at the nativity scene. And as we stood there, looking at a depiction, the defining display of everything that Christmas is about, we noticed something was missing. Angels? Check. Magi? Check. Mary? Check. Joseph? Check. Shepherds? Check. The thing that caught our eye suddenly was that there was no Jesus. Now, I don't know if some fun-loving teenager was playing a prank and snatched baby Jesus uh, just, you know, for fun, or, or if it was an oversight. But imagine all of these people kneeling and lights focusing, and what are they focusing on? Nothing. There's nothing there. It's almost as if the entire meaning of Christmas was stolen. You know, that made me think. Made me think about right here and where I live and where you live and what we're doing tonight and what we were doing yesterday and what we're going to be doing tomorrow. For a whole lot of people that we know and a whole lot of our neighbors and a whole lot of our friends, they've got a nativity scene in an empty manger They've got presents and a tree and stockings, but not yet have they discovered what it's really all about. Uh, I want to remind you again tonight that that uh, Christmas was not invented by humanity. This is not something that we said, hey, you know, it's winter and it'd be really cool to do something fun in the middle of winter. Let's make up a holiday that we can all celebrate. It wasn't like that. Some holidays we made up just like that for a reason. This holiday is not like that. It was not humanity that invented Christmas. I know a lot of people are making their whole year financially, you understand what I'm saying? The whole retail year happens right now in these weeks of December. If you're a retail person, as I was many years of my life, you understand how important the season is between Thanksgiving and tonight. I noticed the stores were full as I was driving in. The whole year is being made, and I don't begrudge that for anybody. Good for you. You need to make a good living. But don't forget what it's all about, because Madison Street nor Wall Street invented Christmas. Christmas is a holiday that truly was invented by God himself. He started this whole affair when he said the time is now right. The fullness of time had come, the scripture says. God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. So God said, okay, time's right. Everything's set. Star ready. Everything's ready. Caesar's ready to declare taxation. I mean, the right people are on the stage. And God said, now is the time. And I'm going to invent Christmas by giving a gift. And I know you're searching to find the perfect gift, and I do too. I've been talking about this for four weeks how you shop to find the right gift for the right person. But I want you to know you'll never outdo the first gift that was given. It's the perfect gift for every person. And God gave the gift, the gift 
of all gifts was given. And that's really what we're, we're celebrating here tonight. We're honored uh, that you would take time away. Uh, you, I see a lot of extended family that I don't know, which means you were just having lunch together and you came or you're about to go have dinner together and open some presents tonight with your family. And I want you to know we're honored that you took this time to come to the house of God tonight to make sure that Jesus is a part of your Christmas celebration tonight. And we're going to try to do it the way that God did it. If you go read about the first Christmas, God did it with stars and with lights and with choirs of people singing, with lots of songs and lots of giving of gifts and, and lots of uh, uh, joy. There, you, you, there's no Christmas account except for wicked old Herod that's a sourpuss in the Christmas account. He's the only one, and you know what a rascal he was, so he's no one that you want to emulate. Everyone else in the Christmas story is thrilled to encounter Jesus and thrilled to encounter God's gift that he has given. Now, uh, we, we just couldn't resist, so we tore into a couple of presents last night, and uh, we're just bad that way. And we might even open another one tonight, who knows, but uh, we're a little naughty that way. Uh, but if you, if you would come to our house, and I know yours looks exactly the same, Wherever that tree is in your house, there's a mountain of presents piled up. And perhaps the younger your children are, the bigger the mountain of gifts is. Because they judge a lot of things by size and volume uh, when they're judging how their Christmas is going to be. And they've probably counted the presents. They know how many brothers got and how many sisters got. And they've looked at all the name tags. And I I thought I was going to outsmart everybody this year, so I used no name tags. I used four different colors of paper, and I wrapped every different person I had to wrap in a different color of paper. You know what my dilemma is? (laughs) I didn't write down which person had which paper. So when we opened gifts last night, uh, Jack, who goes to the University of Oklahoma, had a nice Longhorns gift, and Andrew had a nice, uh, yeah, that didn't go over well, trust me. Uh, When Andrew opened Boomer Sooner thing for his wall at college, it just, nothing went right. But we've corrected our mistakes, but... What all of those presents represent is that represents your living, your income. You worked hard. All of you who've been shopping, and buying, you worked hard. And those gifts are, what are they? They're representations of your love for someone. They're representations of your hard-earned labor to attain that thing that you thought would be the perfect gift that would light up your child's face or light up your wife's eyes or, you, you know, bring joy into your, your husband's life or mom or dad. And, and those gifts represent a big uh, sacrifice. And we willingly every year, no one coerces us to do this, willingly every year we make a list and we go shopping to give gifts to people we love and we sacrifice because we do love people. And we want to give those gifts because in the giving of that gift, we're expressing to the person we love, you mean something to me. I searched long and hard to find this thing that you wanted or that I thought would bring you joy, and I give it to you because you bring meaning to my life. You have brought joy to my heart. And no one coerces us to do this. We sacrifice because we love we give lavishly to those we love. It, and matter of fact, uh, Jesus nailed it, didn't he? Remember the words of our Lord, how he said, it's more blessed to than to receive. And, and, and if you're a gift giver, then you know Jesus nailed that truth for sure. Because you'll have more joy. Now, kids, you're going to have a blast tomorrow. No doubt. But I just want to tell you a secret. Mom and dad are going to have more fun. And grandma and grandpa's tonight and tomorrow, their hearts are going to be filled with more joy than even the kids. Because the Lord has taught us that we are more blessed when we give than when we receive. Now, uh, Pastor David read a portion of the Christmas story already. We've been studying this for weeks. And hopefully when we talked about Joseph on Sunday morning, hopefully you learned a lot. I, I would imagine many of you have never heard a sermon in your life about Joseph the foster father of Jesus Christ. And for, gosh, I don't even want to say how long I preached Sunday. It was ridiculous. I'm embarrassed. But uh, I wanted to give you a full and complete understanding of who this quiet, thoughtful, wonderful man was that God assigned custody of his son, 
And that's no small thing to give custody of your children to someone. Matter of fact, there couldn't be a bigger thing on planet Earth for a person to do than to say, man, I love Grayson so much. Who am I going to, if something happened to us, who would we give him to to raise? That's a big question to answer. And we answered that question on Sunday because God looked down and saw, what do we have on the planet? Eight billion people. And he said, hmm, Joseph and Mary, that's who I choose to assign custody of my only begotten son. He'll teach him a trade. They'll protect him. They'll give him a home filled with love. They'll model a beautiful marriage for him. They'll take care of him. I trust them. And by the way, you may not be raising baby Jesus. You may be raising Damien. I don't know. But you you may not be raising baby Jesus. But the responsibility is very similar. God's entrusted you moms and dads and, and grandmas and grandpas with a human life. And that is a huge, huge undertaking and responsibility. And, and as I read the Christmas story, you, you really, if, you, if you read it just kind of casually, you never really see what's happening in the story. You don't really understand that Mary left town in the middle of her engagement to go help her cousin deliver a baby and help play nurse for about three months or so. And then when Mary comes back home to the northern part of Israel... There is an obvious baby bump. And she's been out of town for months. And when her fiancé comes out to greet her, he's like, Oh my, what has happened? <laughs> Where have you been? What, what's been going on? What, what do we, we need to talk. And their world was turned upside down. And, and I'll say it in a giving way tonight. Mary and Joseph were asked by God to give sacrificially. I mean, they, had, they risked reputation and family and love and marriage. They risked everything in a human relationship. Between parents, kids, I mean, everything was at risk. And that's what God called them to do. I don't know if any couple has ever been asked to do something as difficult as God asked Mary and Joseph to do. Now, we look back at Mary and Joseph and we say, what a great honor. What a great honor to be chosen. You know, just imagine God says, okay, I love you guys. You're the chosen couple. We're going to give you baby Jesus. It's a big deal. We know our history how revered Mary and Joseph are. But at the time, it was playing out in real time. No one understood all of this. And so when they thought about what was happening, they thought, oh, my. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose my job. We live in a small town where everybody gossips about everything. Everybody knows everybody's business. This is going to get really messy and, and really ugly. And God, seriously, you're asking us to do something that is almost impossible. Here's what we do know from the Scripture. Mary's mind was filled with questions. Now, no credible historian denies there was a Mary, a Joseph, and a Jesus, by the way. This is historical fact we're talking about tonight. You may deny he's the Son of God, but no credible historian alive today denies there was a Jesus. The history books are filled with too many references outside of Scripture to prove that they actually live. No one denies that Caesar Augustus issued a decree for... Te- Nobody denies King Herod. Nobody denies the Magi. No, these are real things. Now, you may wrestle with, is he the Son of God? Is he who he claims to be? And I'll let you wrestle with that, but for us, I think many of us have already made up our mind on that. Mary and Joseph are struggling with what it all means, and they're saying, God, you're asking us to give something so, so difficult. We have so many questions. Now, I just want to say this out loud because there's a lot of people I don't know here tonight. If if you're investigating Christianity, if, if you've not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior... And you've got questions. I want you to know that questions are okay. Any normal human being, when faced with things that are unknown, has a million questions. I mean, about everything. I remember when when we were expecting our first. The first thing, Susan, you did, you went and bought that book. What was that book called? What to Expect While You're Expecting. And I saw her tear through every page of that book because she had questions. What's going to happen to my body? What's going to happen to my girlish figure? What's what's going to happen when the baby comes? You know, all just you have questions, and you want to be able to have answers to your questions. So the first thing I want to say to you tonight is, if you have questions about Christ, 
If you have questions about the Bible and about Christianity, do not be afraid to ask. Don't think anyone's going to be offended if you ask. Don't think God's going to be upset with you because you have a list of questions. It's okay to ask questions. Because I find that the woman that God chose to be the mother of Jesus, the first thing she did was start asking questions. It's the normal human response, isn't it? Let me read it for you. Here's what it says. Luke 1, 34. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? i got questions. Here they come. How can this be? Since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. I mean, I've got another question. What does that look like? Is that, what is that going to feel like? Is that going to be scary? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One, this Jesus who is born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, this is the cousin that she goes to visit, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month with Elizabeth, with her who was called barren. Now this is an old woman, her cousin. They couldn't have kids. God's making a big point here because Elizabeth is carrying a man that, a, a baby, man, a, a baby will be a man. It'd be a tough delivery, wouldn't it? But a, a baby who will be a man. And uh, that man was later named John the Baptist. So God said, I've already done one miracle. And I want you to know two's no problem. And by the way, if you need another miracle, three wouldn't be a problem. And Carmen, four wouldn't be a problem. And God's in the miracle. Ashley, five wouldn't be a problem. We, we just worship a God who's got the power to do whatever He thinks is best for us to do. And He will execute that. Mary said, here's her question, how can this happen seeing I know not a man? Now, let's all admit when we were teenagers we were naive about a lot of things. Okay? And Mary admits this. She's just a teenager. Most historians peg her somewhere between 13 and 17 years old when these events are playing out. They married very young. The contractual stage we talked about Sunday happened when they were just kids in the arranged marriage. Mary says, okay, okay, I've got questions. Here's my, here's my question. I'm only a teenager. I'm a little naive about some things. But here's what I do know. I know I'm a virgin, and I know virgins don't have babies. Now, I may not be able to split the atom, but I got that one down. I'm a virgin. Virgins don't have babies. So how is this all going to work out? This year, uh, it was really just a few weeks ago when it just blew up in religious circles. I don't know if you get any religious publications sent to your home or if you follow any religious uh, social media Christianity today or any kind of other publications that might be out there, but just a few weeks ago, the whole Christian world just blew up, in case you didn't know. And it blew up because a guy from the University of Minnesota, a professor named Eric Sprinkle, University of Minnesota, he published an article, and in his article, here's what he said, quote, The virgin birth is a story about an all-knowing, all-powerful deity impregnating a human teenager. There is no definition of consent that would include that scenario, happy holidays, mic drop. Now let me tell you what he just said, and I've read the whole article. What he said is Jesus is a rape baby, and that Mary did not consent. Now this article published just a couple of weeks ago, and when this thing dropped, the whole religious world just boiled over in response to this uh, uh, secular professor the Federalist magazine picked it up. I'll give you a screenshot of, the, of one of the articles that was in. This is Holly Shear. She's a writer for The Federalist. She immediately picked up the article and began to write about this article. And uh, if you just want to validate what I'm saying, you go home and enter into your search engine the words Jesus, rape, and baby. And you'll see all the articles start popping up that were published just two weeks ago about this. You'll see pictures of Mary, the, the Catholic version, the Madonna and you'll see hashtag me too at the bottom of, of the picture. Where Mary's saying, yeah, I get you women. Me too. I didn't have any say in this. It was all forced upon me. Now, Jesus said about such things, uh, by the way, haters are going to hate. And people are going to say all kinds of things. And it seems like at this year, when it's really special to Christians, we just kind of get something thrown in our face like that. It's okay. 
Because Jesus said you do err, not knowing the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures give the real record of what's happening here. And I'm going to show you what the Scripture says about what Mary said about all of this in just a few seconds. The angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's going to do a miracle in your life. God's chosen you. I mean, it's, trust me, you, you're panicking right now saying, I'm terrified. I'm going to lose my fiancé, my family. I'm going to be stoned. I'm going to be excommunicated. You think you're about to lose everything. I want you to know God's about to do a miracle in your life. Why is it that when God's going to do some of the biggest things He's ever going to do in our life, we have sheer terror about the whole event? It's a little trust issue we have with God. It's all it is. And so, but it's understandable. It's human reaction. And Mary says, okay, talk to me about it. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive a child, not with a man, but God who created every one of us and created this world. Let me, let me, just, ask, first, let me just ask you guys a question. How did God create the first man? With what man and woman did he create Adam? He used neither a man nor a woman. The Bible says, from the dust of the ground he formed a body and breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's correct. God said, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make a woman for you. What father and mother gave birth to Eve? God used a man and not a woman. He took a piece of Adam and from his bone and flesh created a body for Eve and breathed into her the breath of life and she became a living being. So God's made a man with no man or woman. God made a woman without a woman using only a man. God made all of us using a man and a woman. God's just about done it every way it can be done. Now, God said, now I'm going to build a man using a woman only and no human man. I'll take a little embryo and just attach it in there into Mary. That holy thing which is in you is conceived of the Holy Ghost. She said, I've got questions. He said, fire away. He said, God's going to, how shall this be? The Holy Spirit's going to come up on you. Now, here's the way it works. God's going to do a miracle in your life, but only if you're willing. Please hear what I'm saying on this Christmas Eve. God will work in your life, but only if you open the door and invite Him to work in your life. You say, I'd like God to do something for me. You have to say yes to God. God will never force Himself upon you. He'll never force His way into your life. The Bible kind of pictures him as a knocking upon the door of your heart. He does not come with a battering ram and six strong guys and beat the door down and force his way into your life and said, I'm here and I'm, I'm, I'm taking over your life. God does not take over your life. You have to surrender your life. Now, it's beautiful and it's wonderful and sometimes we struggle. We're like, okay, if God is has this eternal election and sovereignty and I have free will, how does this work? They just work side by side. What it means is God has done everything that has to be done to save you. He authored a plan. He sent His Son to be the sacrifice. He lived a perfect life. He kept the law. He died on the cross. They buried Him. He rose from the dead by the power of God to be your Savior. God did all of that. And now salvation is handed to you like a free gift. Just like you're going to get tonight or tomorrow. It's wrapped up and it's got your name on it. It's intended for you, but it'll never be yours until you reach out with hands and appropriate it for yourself. I want you to know that salvation and forgiveness and peace and joy is yours tonight. Claim it. Take it. Receive it. You say, well, I'm just waiting for God to do something. No, no, you missed the whole point. God's already done His part. He's hit the ball over the net to you. Now it's in your court. You're on now. The next move is not God's. Hit the button. You're on now. The next move is yours. God's done everything He can to save you, and all you have to do tonight is say to Him, Yes. Yes. Mary says, I I didn't think a baby was possible for me. Gabriel says, With God... All things are possible, Mary. Just to prove it to you, the the Baron Elizabeth, she's carrying a baby right now. She's six months pregnant, going to have John the Baptist here in just a little bit. You're a virgin, you're going to have a baby. Listen, with God, all things 
are possible. That is a theme that repeats itself on a loop, on a playlist loop all through the New Testament, by the way. I just want to point this out. That with God, the normal doesn't have to apply. I don't know what kind of family you come from with brokenness and addiction and abuse and all kinds. And you just say, well, I'm pre-programmed and I'm predisposed. I guess I'm also going to go to jail and prison and, and cook meth and be an abuser because everybody in my... No, stop it. Break the cycle. Do something different in your lifetime. It doesn't have to be that way. Mary's like, okay, I'm thinking about this. How can it be? God said with me, all things are possible. It's a theme that loops all through the New Testament. And I'll just give you three highlights where it happens. You and I and anyone who tries to do the Lord's work know that the hardest people on planet earth to reach are those who are wealthy, who live in nice brick houses with two or three cars in the driveway, with 60-inch big screens and retirement plans, and three, so six-digit combined incomes, who have every closet filled to capacity, the shoes all over the floor, tripping over them, and who have every toy and every... You understand what I'm saying? If you guys would just come with me, we just load up on a plane and we'll go to a foreign country and we can win people to Christ all day long as fast as we can win them to Christ simply by sharing this message that I'm sharing right now of Jesus Christ. You come to a land where people are wealthy and have everything... It's very difficult for them to hear the gospel because we are well, we are happy, we are full. We don't need anything. We don't see that we have a need in our life for Jesus Christ. They begin to ask Jesus about this in the New Testament. They said, how can, the, how can we win these wealthy, middle-class people to Jesus Christ? Here's what Jesus' answer was. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with men it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I just want to say to you, you, you have, and I, I, you guys know, I live on the mission fields. You are living in the hardest mission field of all. In the land of freedom and plenty, where people are full and they have no need of Jesus Christ. You say, well then how in the world are we going to reach Fort Worth and these suburbs with the gospel? Because... If it was just up to our power, we, we just wouldn't be able to penetrate their hearts. But with God, this is what I want you to remember. All things are possible. The Bible used this same theme on the loop. There were some demon-possessed people. The disciples were all freaked out. and They're like, wow, we better not mess with these people. These demons are powerful and strong. and We better not tangle with these demons. We, we, we can't do anything here. Jesus said, come on. I'll show you how to set these demon-possessed people free. And Jesus said this, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Paul would come along a little later and Paul would say it more in our kind of language. God said, Paul, write this down so the people in Fort Worth will hear this on Christmas Eve 2018 and be reminded that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is not a a self-help I'm not a life coach, I'm a pastor, and this is not life coach words, although you could take it that way. I'm not saying tonight you can do anything. I'm not saying you can do everything. I'm saying through Christ, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Let me see if I can make this very plain on Christmas Eve. It means for some of you, in just a few weeks, you need to enroll in school. I can finish school. You say, I can't. I'm too old. I've been out too long. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We won't have to look far around this room. You just look right here and see a person that's overweight. We can lose the weight this year. You say, I've been trying. I hadn't been making any progress. I can do all things. Does God want you to be healthy? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you need a drastic change in lifestyle. It's not going the way it needs to go, and you know that, and some changes need to be. And you say, well, I just feel powerless to make the changes. Stop, stop for a moment tonight. 
and agree with the Word of God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can say I'm sorry to the person I need to say I'm sorry to. That means I can ask forgiveness from the person I need to ask forgiveness from. That means for some of us, I can get out of debt in 2019. You say, well, I've been trying and I'm not getting anywhere. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you need to follow in believer's baptism. And you're, you're nervous. You're a little scared. You're intimidated by that, being up in front of people and being baptized. Listen, conquer that fear this year. Say, I can be baptized, I will be baptized, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Listen, many of our faithful members, we've trained you to make disciples. You're so nervous about leading a small group, you're apprehensive. This is your year where you can conquer your fear and say, I can make disciples. I can lead a small group because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, we are living in a community surrounded by people who grew up in church, and every church I know is struggling financially. Every church I know is struggling financially. This is the year where Christians need to say, I can give, I will give. I will make giving to God a part of my life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you are just too grumpy. I just don't know how to say it nicely. You're just grumpy. This is your year. Let it begin at Christmas. Say to yourself, I can live a life filled with joy. I can enjoy my life. I can be happy. Listen, I'm going to give you one bit of life coach advice now. I'm going to step out of pastor role. If you've got a job you hate, get a different job. Now step back in my pastor role a minute. I will pray with you. Okay? Listen, there are 500 or more people that attend this church every Sunday morning. If you'll give us your resume, we'll circulate it to 500 different companies and help you find a job you love. Do not be miserable. Do not hate your life. Say, I can do this. I can move forward with my life. And here's the biggie. Listen, if you've never put your faith in Christ and you just say, well, I've said no and I've said no and I've said no. I remember when my grandfather got saved, he had said no to Jesus for 65 years. And I don't mean metaphorically. I mean, when we tried to lead him to Christ, he said, no. And maybe just not no sometimes. (laughs) No was his answer. And he was an abusive alcoholic and and, and just not a good person. But I remember the day where we drove by his house and knocked on the door. And I remember my dad opened the door and said, hi, do you know who I am? I'm your son. Awkward moment. Haven't seen you in 10 or 15 years. Hey, I just want to stop by and talk to you about Jesus Christ. Could I come in for a moment? Granddad let us in the house, and, and we sat down at the kitchen table. And my dad said, I'd, I'd like to show you how to receive Christ as your Savior. My, here's what my grandfather said. He said, can I still get saved? Because I've said no all of these years. I've said no and no and no and no and no and no and no. And now, basically, the devil had him convinced that he was beyond hope. He said, I feel like I've rejected Christ and that maybe that's permanent. And my dad opened the Bible and showed him that Jesus would save to the uttermost who came to God through him, that God would in no wise turn anyone away, regardless of the depths of our depravity, if we would just come through the name of Jesus Christ, that God would forgive us and God would save us. And if you're here tonight saying, I've gone too far, I've been too bad, I want you to hear the words that play through the Bible, nothing is impossible with God. With God, all things are possible. And your salvation is possible tonight. You walk out of these doors, a forgiven person with a home in heaven. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph were asked to do something so hard. And one of the lessons that I've learned from them is that I need to obey even when I think God's asking the the impossible. I don't know if you ever felt like you were in an impossible circumstance but we need to obey even, even if we think God's being unreasonable. It just means we don't see it the way He sees it yet, but we will. Even if God is a little unreasonable, let's go ahead and obey God. It, it, here's what I mean by unreasonable. You want me to raise a baby that's not my own? That's what Joseph is thinking. Mary's thinking, okay, you want me to carry this baby to term and tell everybody it's mine? Do you know what my parents are going to say? What do you think her parents said? Do you think any amount of argument from Mary convinced her parents that she was carrying a baby that was the Son of God? 
Let's get real for a minute, okay? No way. No chance. Not a prayer. But here's the big one. Do you think my fiancé is going to believe? I'm carrying the Son of God. Well, I want to say no way. Except for an angelic appearance that I talked about Sunday morning. Unless Gabriel shows up in my own bedroom tonight, I'm not going to believe you're carrying the Son of God. Well, Gabriel showed up. And so I just want you to know, whatever hurdle you've got to get over... For God to be real to you, I believe God is capable of doing that for you. And what God gave in giving His Son to us started a cycle of giving that 2,000 years, 2,000 years is a long time, folks. 2,000 years later, we're here tonight because God gave a gift and it started a cycle of giving that we have been following now and celebrating. Listen, what I find amazing is that People are celebrating Christmas not who are not even Christians. They don't even believe in God. But what are they doing? They're giving gifts and singing songs and lighting candles and going through the motions. You tonight know the real meaning. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Jesus Christ might not perish but would have eternal life. Here's a lesson on giving. We are always called to give what we value. You're never called to give your junk to God. I remember when my dad was a pastor, someone called one day and said, Hi, we've got a junky old piano that's taking up space in my living room. I want to give it to the church. (laughs) My dad lovingly said, If it's junk to you, it's junk to Jesus. (laughs) There it is. And I thought about that because I thought he was being a real jerk at the time. And I thought about that sense, and I thought about, you know what, that makes a lot of sense, though. If it doesn't mean anything to you, I mean, I just want to ask you a question. Your, your wife or your husband or your son or daughter are going to open a gift tomorrow that you bought them. Did, did you buy them something that was meaningful? Sure you did. You didn't just grab some junk out of the closet and rewrap it and give it to them. You didn't get, you're not giving junk, you're giving something that you value. Now let me make it practical for you. I, all, I hear people all the time tell me, Pastor, I don't have enough time. Now I want to tell you a secret of life right now. When you give of your time, you'll find that you always have enough time. Not only for others, but also for you and your wife and your own family, your own children. I often hear people say to me, Pastor, I just don't have enough money. It's one of all of our laments. I know that. And I would even maybe echo that. I don't feel like I have enough money. You don't feel like you have enough money. But here's what I do know. When we give to the mission of God, we do have enough money to get everything done. We're all paying the bills. Our pantries are full. Our refrigerators are full. You you couldn't shove another, you couldn't put a chicken leg in our refrigerator right now. I mean, there's a ham in there, there's leftovers, in, you know what I'm saying? Truly, we're blessed people. You say, well, Pastor, I just feel like I don't have enough, no, nobody encourages me ever. Let me tell you a secret to life. Give encouragement. And when you give encouragement, it has a way of coming back into your life. When you give to God what you value... God always has a way of giving it back to you exponentially. Let me give you the examples. Abraham cherished above all things on this earth a little boy that God gave him named Isaac. And God came to Abraham one day and said, I want you to give your son. I know what he thought, don't you? I will give you anything on planet earth that I possess. Just please don't ask for my son. That's the one thing I value above all things. God said, then that's the only thing I want you to give. And when Abraham raised that knife, God said, stop, sir. I would have never, didn't want to take your, just a test. I see that you have not held your son back and I know you would not hold anything back from me because you were willing to do this. Not only did he get his son back, The Bible says that God made Abraham a father of many nations. His children were like the sands of the sea and like the stars of heaven. He didn't just get a son back. He got a nation of sons. Now, we're getting there. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's the most famous woman? Don't answer out loud. Who's the most famous woman in the history of the world? Don't answer out loud. 
Because I'm telling you tonight the story of a teenage girl who said, God, if I say yes to this crazy scheme, I'm going to lose my parents and my family and my home. I'm going to be kicked out. I could die under the Old Testament law. My fiance is going to think I'm dirty. I mean, I'm going to lose everything reputation-wise if I say yes to your plan, God. All right, now who's the most famous woman in the history of the world? Mary. Have you been to the Louvre? Have you walked through the halls of the most famous museum in the world in Paris and just walked through all that floor where the Mona Lisa hangs and just look at the religious art, every picture about something from a Bible scene and Mary is there 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 and here are the carvings and there is Mary, here's the marble and there's the Mary. She's the most... Which woman has more songs been written about than any other woman in the history of the world? Whose name is more? You understand what I'm saying? She said, I'm going to lose everything, God, if I say yes. God said, you have no idea what's about to happen. I'm going to make you the most famous woman in the history of the universe. Now, here's what it looks like biblically, in case you don't know. Jesus said, he, he who finds his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake, you're going to find what life. You're really going to find your life. Wise man Solomon said it this way. Cast your bread upon the waters and after many days. When you give time, when you give encouragement, when you give, it has a way of coming back into your life. Jesus said in the book of Luke, give. And it will be given to you. People shall give to you. I'll say tonight, the only thing that's truly yours are the things that you give to God. And what Mary and Joseph gave away in risk that day, that, that, that season, they got back exponentially from God. And on this Christmas Eve night, my simple message to you is this. I'm challenging every one of you to follow the example of Mary and just say yes to God. It's not a complicated Christmas message. Just say yes. God said to Abraham, I want you to offer Isaac. He said, I'll do it. And he was blessed. God said, Mary, here's the proposition. God's chosen you. You're going to conceive and bear a son. How shall this be? I'm a virgin. I know not a man. I don't understand. God's going to take care of it, okay? You're going to have a baby, but you have to agree God will not force this upon you. Listen, there are many people sitting here tonight who you've not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I want you to know, be at ease, God will never force you. No, no person can force you. No one can make you convert. No one can make you be a Christian. No one can make you be a believer. That's up to you. Only you, it's a pretty powerful thing. Only you can say yes or no to God for yourself. There's a man named Paul. I know what he valued because the scripture tells us he valued what we value. Reputation, possessions, position, pedigree. I mean, he was a graduate of a certain school. You know what I'm saying? His, his school, it was a big deal to him. And all of those things that he valued... Well, I'll just read the scripture. Here's what it says. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Jesus Christ. Everything that I thought was everything about life, Paul said, now I realize it's not anything at all. And I gladly give what I value, not junk. My reputation, my pedigree, my education, my position, my authority. I'm a big deal in the Jewish community. And I'll gladly lay it all down at the feet of Jesus and give it to you and walk away from it, you say, well, what, what, did he, what did he lose? Well, as far as I can tell, Apostle Paul's about the second most famous person in all of history outside of Jesus Christ. Again, walk the famous museums of the world. There's the Apostle Paul, and go to Rome, and there is his prison, and, and talk to anybody who knows anything about anything. He's one of the greatest writers of literature in the world, wrote more than half of your New Testament. The Apostle Paul. Now let me close it this way. What did Mary give? Well, the way I see it, she gave her reputation. She didn't know if she would be the most famous woman in the world. She thought she was going to be the biggest zero in the world. And she said yes to God 
even though she thought she was going to lose everything. What did Mary give? Well, she didn't know how her friends would respond. So she just assumed, okay, if I say yes to God, Gabriel, then I'm going to lose all my friends. That's a big sacrifice for a young girl to make. But God, for you, I'd be willing to do it. What did she risk? What did she give? She didn't know what her family would say. I think I know what her family was going to say. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall at that conversation. I'm pretty sure how her daddy responded. She said, I'm going to lose the confidence of my parents if I go home with this baby. But God, I'll risk it because I love you and you love me and I'll say Yes, and to me, this is the biggie. She's about to leave mom and dad's house anyway and go unite with a man and be her own family. But now she says this, okay, what is my fiancé going to say? After being gone for three or four months, I show up with this baby bump and I start telling stories of angels and supernatural impregnations and plans of God and miracles. And he might put me in the loony bin. But surely he's going to break this engagement. There's no way he'll go forward with me. And I love that guy. And he loves me. And still, she said yes to God. Now, I'm asking you tonight, are you willing to give what you value and be a follower of Christ regardless of the consequences? Are you willing to risk it all to be a follower of Christ? You say, oh man, what I'm going to lose... Have you not heard what I'm saying? You don't lose anything. Amen. You gain the whole world by following Jesus Christ. And then you gain life everlasting on top of that. Let me read you the verse and I'll close it. Luke 1.38. The angel says, okay, Mary, here's the deal. I'm going to wait for your answer. And here's the verse. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Now this is fancy speak for saying I belong to God. I am his female servant. Whatever God says, I'm going to go with. I am the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can I put it in one word? Yes is my answer. Now I've got a vivid imagination. Gabriel was sent to give the message and get the answer, right? There he flies right through the pearly gates. She said yes! Shaking everybody's hand, passing out cigars on the way as he goes into the... He was saying right down the streets of... She said yes! She said yes! Standing before the throne of God. Give me a second, God. Okay. Now let me tell you what, well you're God, you already know what she said, but I still I have to give her a report because that's my job. God, she said yes. I think he might have been skeptical. Who in a million years would have thought she would have said yes to such a crazy scheme? God, she said yes. It's not written anywhere, but I know it happened. That God then turned to the praise team. And he said, get the worship team ready, because in nine months we're going to have a baby, and it's going to be a boy, <laughs> and they're going to call his name Jesus, for he will save their people from their sins, and any old song is not going to work, so get the angelic choir ready, because I'm not passing out birth announcements in written form, we're going to send an angel army to sing the song of the birth of the Son of God. It's not going to be a song that was composed upon this planet earth. When you sing these words in a few moments, they are words that were written in heaven to announce the birth of Jesus Christ. He said, when you guys go sing nine months from now, I want you to sing these words, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill, to me. And you say, why? Because we're going to have a baby. That's why. And it's not going to be any baby. It's going to be Jesus, the Son of God. You say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. Say yes.
Say yes. That's all you have to do. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Before we light candles and sing songs about Christ to end our service, let's make some decision. We came in with family and friends tonight. We're surrounded by people who love us and people we love. You say, what should we do in a moment like this? Every one of us should bow our heads and bow our hearts and say, God Almighty, I don't know what your plan is for my life. I don't know what your will is for my life. But I don't even need to see the script. My answer is yes. My answer is yes. You'll never lose by saying yes to Jesus. He's the same Jesus who said yes to the manger and yes to the cross for you. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and you're wondering how does that happen exactly, just by a simple prayer of faith. It's the kind of gift you receive with a hand of faith, not a, not a literal hand. But in your heart, you cry out to God and you say, yes, I'll receive you. I want you in my life. If you've never received Christ, why don't you pray with me right now? My prayer won't save you, so you have to make this your own prayer from your own heart. Pray like this. Dear God, I confess to you tonight that I'm a sinner. I know it. You know it. I need a Savior. And I want you to know, God, that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. Born in a manger, lived without sin, died on the cross, and rose again from the grave. I believe that. And tonight, the best way that I know how, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. God, right now, I just accept your forgiveness. God, make peace right now between you and me. Lord, adopt me into your family. Make me your child. Lord, my desire is to live for you now. Lord, my answer is yes. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior tonight. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me tonight. While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me just give you a bit of advice right here. Someone invited you here tonight. If you just received Christ as your Savior, someone who loves you invited you to be here tonight so that we could worship side by side the Savior of the world. The greatest gift you could give to your loved one would be sometime tonight just put your arm around them and say, I receive Christ as my Savior tonight in this service. You will have given to your loved one the greatest gift they'll ever receive. But you have to share that. You have to communicate that. In just a few moments, we're going to take a Christmas offering. Before we do, I, I know there are some who wanted to join our church and be a part of our church family. I'm just going to ask them to present themselves very quickly and let's make this public in this service tonight. If you need to be a member of this church, you just come meet me right here real quick. Give you 15 seconds to make a move. Here we go. Come and be a part of our church family tonight.